So, so Mary said yes. This is, uh, this is an incredible story as we begin to see the unfolding of the prophetic promise that the Messiah is coming. So an angel visits Mary, and you can imagine that is a crazy event. Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, we're going to put all the verses up on the screen. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. We see Gabriel two other times in Scripture. He uh, helps Daniel with the interpretation of his vision, and he also goes to the visit Zechariah and later you know, is confirmed through Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, that they're going to have a child who is going to be John the Baptist. This is the promise forerunner to the Messiah. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are both old. It says it in, I'm not making that up. It just says that. We don't know how old. They're both old in years. She's barren. They haven't had a child. God shows up and says, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah's like, "Uh, how's that going to happen? Because we're both old. And the angel says, well, since you don't believe me, you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. So he is made uh, mute until the birth of John. And when he, they ask him what the name is, and they're going to want it, they think he should be named you know, after his father. And, and he says, no, his name is John. He's able to say that. So he's the child of promise. Now, in the sixth month, so is it in the sixth month, it's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary. Now, verse 27, to a virgin engaged or espoused, as it says in some translations, to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary was a virgin. She was engaged, not yet married. This was often a long process uh, to a virgin. This is important. And this is the fact that she is a virgin is important. It's important because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So she had kept herself sexually pure, and these were not different times than today. We, you know, we also think, well, you know, back then, you know, it was easy for someone to keep their virginity. It's not like today, sexually charged times like today. Well, the reality was, outside of Judaism, there was, there was no sexual standard at all. It was anything goes with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Most of them... In pagan worship, sexual rituals were involved in the worship of their pagan gods. But in the little enclave of Judaism, they were endeavoring to walk by the Ten Commandments. And so because of that, here is a young girl who has kept herself sexually pure. Uh, She's not slept with her soon-to-be husband. Or anyone else. And sexual purity is important to God. For both men and women. It has always been important to God. And it will always be important to God. God's not going to change his view on sexuality because the culture changes. We don't look to the culture to determine 
what is right and wrong. We look to God who created men and women, men, men and women. We look to God. Now we, it's interesting to note that in the lineage of Christ, there is Rahab, who is often referred to in the Bible as Rahab the, the harlot. I like to refer to it as Rahab the former harlot because she didn't remain a harlot. And she's in the lineage of Christ. Tamar, who had sex with her father-in-law. And Debbie said, hmm. Because uh, that's, you know, that's weird, right? And she's attempting to right a wrong. She's been wronged because according to the law, when her husbands died, her father-in-law was supposed to give her, allow her to have children from other sons. But when two sons died, he said, uh, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to give her another one of those sons. <laughs> and so he didn't. So she deceived him and became pregnant by him. Uh, so that's long story short right there. Uh, and then we have uh, Bathsheba. Bathsheba, who is, you know, who had the affair with David. And, you know, we don't know how this all came up, but Bathsheba is bathing on the roof and David sees her. You know, so David sees her and he, he wants her, so he sends for her. He has sex with her, and then she becomes pregnant, so then he's got to cover it up. So to cover it up, you know, he kills her husband, or has her husband killed. Then Bathsheba becomes the father of, the mother of Solomon. David's the father, Bathsheba's the mother. So this is in the lineage of Christ. And so we see this, God uses broken people. Is anybody here glad for that? God uses people with a past. God redeems broken people. He helps us turn mistakes into victories. You know, things that we would look back and think, oh, this is horrible. But in, in God's hand and in God's time, we see that God can take mistakes and failures on our part and turn them into victories. He does it. But when he chose the mother for his son, he chose a virgin because purity is important to God. This is important to God. He chose a virgin. It also makes it a miracle. It makes it miraculous. It makes it wonderful. It makes it beyond explanation. It has to, it has to be God. And coming into her, he said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The word used for favored is used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. This term, the glory of his grace, freely bestowed on us in the beloved, is the same terminology for greetings favored one. It is saying, so the angel Lord was saying to her, greetings, God's lavishing grace on you. Greetings, God's giving you grace. It means the free bestowal of grace. That's the only way you get grace. It's an unmerited bestowal. She doesn't deserve this. She hasn't earned it. She wasn't particularly more righteous than anyone else in Nazareth. It wasn't that God said, I'm picking this one because she's better. God picked her because he chose her. 
The choice was God's, not Mary's. It was a grace. There were other virgins in Nazareth that God could have chosen, but God had prepared. God had already prepared Mary for this time. God chose Mary because he wanted Mary. He, Mary didn't choose God for this, right? I mean, Mary didn't think, I think I'll be the mother of the Messiah. No. She had absolutely nothing to do with it. God's, it was God's choice. And that's the same way salvation works. Did you know that you're chosen also if you're in Christ? If you're in Christ, you have been chosen, but you weren't chosen because you were worthy to be chosen. You were chosen because God said, I choose this one. (laughs) You were chosen because it was God's choice. And you didn't say, well, I think I'll get saved. Oh, God, save me. When you said, oh, God, save me, it was because God had chosen you to be saved. And he gave you the faith to be saved. So Mary says yes to God, but, you know, that's kind of cutting to the end, and I don't want to do that yet. Uh, So she's chosen by God. God chose Mary. That's important for us to recognize this. It's the free bestowal of grace. You know, there are those that would say, there are those that would say that Mary was... Mary was herself conceived, the Catholics would say, that Mary herself was conceived by an immaculate conception. Not just Jesus was conceived by immaculate conception, but Mary was conceived also by immaculate conception. And thereby they elevate Mary to be a co-redemptress with Christ, where she's part of the redemption. And she's not. Jesus is our redeemer. Mary's not the redeemer. She's the mother of the redeemer. God chose Mary. And she was perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. So she was perplexed. She was confused. She said, I don't know what this means. What does this mean that you're going to grace me? I'm graced to be the mother of the Messiah. What does that mean? And often when God graces us, it's not always easy. And that's what you got to get. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and he's going to solve my problems. That's not true. You're going to give your life to Jesus and he's going to be with you through all your problems. But you're still going to have problems. And as a matter of fact, the fact that you're in Christ may even multiply your problems. This multiplied problems in Mary's life. To say yes to God didn't take away problems. She was probably living a somewhat trouble-free life when she said yes to God. And now she is an outcast because she's a woman that's pregnant outside of marriage. She's going to be rejected by her family. She would have been rejected by Joseph, but the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, nope, this is God. So he's like, okay, well, all right, I'll marry her then. And uh, rejected by her family. Then, not only that, how about the journey to Bethlehem at nine months pregnant to take this journey on probably, if they were poor, which it looks like they were poor, they didn't, you know, to own a donkey was like owning a Cadillac. You, you, in other words, you had money like, you know, like Eddie and Debbie Lindsay, you have a Cadillac. 
And uh, they, uh, <laughs> it's not safe to sit in the front. <laughs> it's just not safe. Uh, so they walked. And so you can imagine, and so they, they get to, they get to Bethlehem and no family will let them in. Which I've got to think, the reason no family will let them in, Bethlehem is, his, is Joseph's hometown. So he's got to have an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or grandpa or somebody that would say, hey, this is my, this is my kin, I'm going to let them stay. But they don't get to stay anywhere. There's no room in the inn. They end up staying in a, having the baby in a stable, probably a cave. That's miserable. Often when God invites us into grace... It is often not easy, but a challenge. And we get frustrated because we thought, oh, well, I thought I was just following God. It was an easy thing. It's not. Amen. Is there anything in your life that you thought that was going to be really easy was harder than you thought it would be? Like maybe marriage? I mean, it's two people in love. How hard can it be? Right? Then you have this little precious child. You have, this mo- you have a baby. This most precious thing you can imagine. You have this precious baby. And then about three years old, they get a mouth on them. <laughs> and that's just the beginning. Then about 12, they get hormones. And it's like, Wow, this is not as easy as it. it's pretty easy right now carrying Lincoln around in that little carrier, you know, only getting two hours sleep a night, you know, and you think that's the easy part. Here's what John Piper says about grace and how it works. The highest and most precious gifts of God do not always come to us in attractive colors. Grace can perplex. Grace can frighten. The grace of healing may be the face of a hypodermic needle or a surgeon's knife. The grace of patience may have the, have the face of pain or like installing 10 new computers. I was on the phone with QuickBooks over this week, three hours, I nearly died, an hour and a half. In an hour. You know what? That's not abnormal. That's just the stuff of life, right? You just have to fight with everything. The grace of patience may have the face of pain, or it may be new software. The grace of humanity may have the face of humility, may have the face of defeat. Grace is not as always easy as we think it's going to be. Verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of his Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. One of the things that angels always seem to show is, don't be afraid, say is, don't be afraid. And you can imagine to, if you did encounter an angel that it would be incredible. And I, there's really not that many angel encounters even in the Bible. And many of what we read in the Old Testament are angel encounters are actually the incarnation of Christ revealing himself even in the Old Testament. 
So we see pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. So we don't see that many pictures of angels. And, you know, and I think I saw an angel one time. And he didn't look like an angel. He just looked like a person. And I was in, the, when I was 20, greatly experienced in ministry, uh, my pastor devised a plan that he wanted me to go to Africa and preach a crusade. And I had never been out of the country. So his scheme was that, that I would have to go to all the little churches around Abilene, Texas. And there were lots of little churches around Abilene, Texas. And go and preach at those churches and raise money for my crusade in Africa. So for months before my trip, I went to every little church that would have me and I would preach. And his scheme was I was going to get to preach a lot. And I did. I got to preach a lot. And I, I pre preached to 15 people and 7 people and 5 people and 40 people and, you know. And most of the places that I went, would, they, were, they would take up a love offering, which apparently they didn't love me very much. Uh, because usually it cost me more to go than I had made in the offering. But it was the experience that he was trying to get me in, in this journey, this, this scheme of his to get me experience. And so, and this was back when gasoline was 39 cents a gallon. So you can imagine how lousy those offerings were, right? <laughs> so, so when the time came for us to leave, it was this time of year. It was, we were actually supposed to travel right up, right at Christmas time. And uh, we got ready to travel and the visas ha hadn't come in, but we had all this stuff prepared and arranged. And so we, we had the scheme we will go. I was traveling with an older gentleman. He was like ancient. He was like 35 probably. And uh, I was traveling with this older man. And uh, we, we went to New York because back, you know, back in the 70s, they didn't have a direct flight to Nigeria. You flew to New York, had a layover. You flew to London, had a layover, and then flew to Africa. Everything had to wait for connections. There weren't as many flights. But then again, flying was kind of fun back then. So, so we flew to New York. We went to the embassy on a Friday. And Christmas was on Sunday. So we went in and told the people why we were there, what we needed. And what do you think they were doing? They were having a Christmas party in the back. And so we told them what we wanted. We sat there. We got there went at the beginning of the day. We sat there all day long. Nobody came out and said, what are you doing? Can we help you? Hey, we're working on it. Nothing all day long. We're approaching the end of the day. They're about to close the office. We're in a panic now. What are we going to do? And in comes a tall you know, he, he wasn't like extremely tall. I would say he was he just seemed tall at the time. He was 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, in my memory, a tall, handsome, black man. And he walked right up to he didn't He didn't walk to the desk. He just walked up to us, me and my friend, and said, what are you doing here? And we said, well, we're, we're trying to get a visa to go to Nigeria. 
We're in the Nigerian embassy, which is pretty obvious, okay? We're trying to get a visa. He says, why are you going to Nigeria? He said, well, we're ministers of the gospel, and we're going to preach a crusade. He said, that's interesting. I'm a minister of the gospel, too. He said, let me see what I can do. He walked to the back. He was gone about a minute, if that long. Came out, handed us our visas, and walked out the front door. And in the, in, you know, in the month, we didn't, we didn't even say, but, but, so then we got up and walked down the street. You know, we didn't, it's like we were so surprised. It just happened like that. And we got up and walked, looked out the door. And it was like, nobody there. It was like, wow. Now, I don't know if it was. Could have been a really kind guy who had connections. But it's just one of those things. It was just an amazing thing. Most people haven't seen angels. And when they see an angel, biblically, it's frightening because they are majestic, divine. You know, they're made by God beings. They don't, we don't worship them, but they're glorious because God sends them. He says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus, and he'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He said, you'll name him, you'll name him Jesus. Five things. Jesus. Jesus is, is the... Joshua is the Hebrew form of Jesus. It means Savior, Deliverer. Jesus is our Savior. Matthew said... She will bear a son. You shall call him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Jesus came. His name is his, his, in his mission. His, why did Jesus come? To save us from our sins. He'll be great. There's none greater than Jesus. There's none greater than Jesus. In all eternity, there's none greater than Jesus. He, he is magnificent because he, of what he has accomplished for us. But that doesn't make him magnificent. He's magnificent if we never exist. Because he's God. I love what Paul says in Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of creation is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. This exists. I don't know if you don't recognize this, but you're not the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And by his grace, we get brought along in the journey. By his grace, we become children, sons, inheritors. He will be called the son of the most high. It's true. We're all sons by faith. We're all sons. Sometimes this offends people when you say people that he's the only begotten son of God. Well, we're all sons. We're all sons by faith, but we're all not the son. There's only one 
the Son. We're sons by faith, and we're sons because of the Son. Without the Son, we're not sons. Right? We're sons because the Son gave his life as a ransom for us so that we could be adopted. We're brought into the family. We're not in the family. We're sinners, rebels outside of the family, but we're adopted and brought into the family because the Son makes us sons. Amen? The Lord's going to give him the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign over the house of David forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? This was not, no, I don't believe you. Now, see, Zechariah said, wait a minute, wait, I don't think this can happen because I'm old. And Elizabeth is old. And the angel said, Gabriel said, well, watch this. Mary's is not a question of doubt. Because I don't think this can happen. It's a question of how. How, how can this happen? It's not, I don't believe you, but how? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will do it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for all that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth at creation, at the moment of creation, the Spirit of God hovered over Mary and created Jesus, the Son of God. The earth was without form and void. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And in the same way, the Spirit of God in a moment hovering over Mary, created Jesus, who was the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians, uh, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And he says, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. She says, Mary, you need to understand this. this is, there's nothing impossible with God. You don't know this yet, Mary, but God's going to do a lot of impossible things through this. You're going to see things that you never would have imagined you've seen. You're going to see. You're going to see blind people receive their sight. You're going to see lame people who never walked, walk. You're going to see dead people who are dead for several days. Not just barely dead, but stinking dead. Right? So you're going to see Lazarus raised from the dead. You're going to see lost people who the world had, would have written off as beyond hope. You're going to see prostitutes come to faith in Christ. You're going to see tax gatherers and tax collectors, the anathema of the people. You're going to see them come to faith in Christ. You're going to see all sorts of people. God's going to do impossible things. So Mary says, in faith, Mary says, behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary says, well, okay. Yes. And you know, she didn't have any idea of the ramifications. 
She, she didn't understand what all of it meant. She didn't know that it meant that not only was you going to see this glorious birth and angels announce his birth and that they were going to have to flee to Egypt to flee being, him being killed and have to come back and that all of, all of that and then to watch him die on the cross and then to celebrate in the resurrection. She didn't know all of that was going to happen, but she trusted God. And so she, out of her trust in God, her faith in God, her love of God, she says, God, I'm your bondservant. I'm your slave. This is what you want me to do? Yes. She trusted God to know more than she knew. And we do too. We have to trust God that God knows more than we do. You will miss all that God has for you until you learn to live with a yes in your heart. Until you learn to live with a yes to God. So that when God says something to you, you don't say to him, I don't know how. Well, God says, sure you don't know how. You don't even have any idea what's going to happen. Just say yes. Just say yes. God works in our life through a willing heart. He will, he's going to, through your life, reveal things about you that need to change. They need to change because they're not like Jesus. They don't con- correspond to someone who is a child of God. And, and so he's going to show you things that you haven't seen before. And so he's going to say, hey, you've been really impatient this week dealing with this QuickBook stuff. You need to reel this in, buddy boy. And what I want to say is how. But what he wants me to say is yes. Yes, you're right. I want to be more like Jesus and less like Randy dealing with QuickBooks. The Lord is going to take us through places where we have an opportunity to say yes. Yes, you're the commander of my soul. You own me. I've been bought with a price. My heart's desire is to do what he wants me to do. I offer my life, as Paul says, a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service of worship. I'm sure Mary felt small and inadequate. I'm sure immediately in Mary's mind, she thought of 10 or 15 people she thought were more qualified. You know, when God says, hey, I've chosen you to carry the Son of God, she should have thought, well, what about Susie two blocks down? Because she went to Bible school and her parents have a little more money. I think she's a better candidate. Don't we do that? Don't we, don't we try to act like we're better at picking people than God is? Well, God, what about them? And God's saying, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. What about you? If we will live with a yes in a heart, it opens the door for God to use us in powerful ways. God, she didn't know why God ch- chose her. It didn't make sense why God chose her. She just said yes and believed that nothing was impossible with God. And I want to tell you, as long as you have areas of your life that are off limits to God, an area of your life where this is a no instead of a yes, you're going to miss all that God wants to do in your life.
where Paul even gets to the point. Paul says, listen, guys, I've learned to rejoice in my weakness. He said, I used to think I was a big deal. I used to think I was a pretty big deal with God. Because I kept all the rules and I did all the stuff. But then I look back on that and I realize it was all a bunch of dung. He said, what I found really counts is faith in Christ. Trusting him. And I've learned this. When I'm weak, he's strong. So that way, the power is coming from him and not from me. You see, one of the things that God wants to show you is that he can do imp- impossible things through your life. He can do incredible things through your life. Not necessarily easy things. Sometimes we get mad at God when it's not easy. And I want to can I just give you just ahead of time it's not going to be easy. It's just best. God's way is not the easiest way. Easiest way is, is flowing downstream. But God's way is the best way. And when you say yes to God and you say, Lord, I want you to take control of every little corner, every little fiber of my being, everything in my life I give to you. And I say, yes, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, I'm yours. Yes. Amen. Let's stand. The best decision of my life and the best decisions of my life is when I've said without reservation, Yes to God. He uses the weakest of vessels to accomplish great things so that he gets the glory. He used a little girl, Mary, maybe 15, 16 years old. She said yes. Not only did it change her world, But her her yes changed the world. Lord, help us to live with a yes in our heart. To surrender everything to you because we belong to you. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. So, Savior, Lord, as bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, we say yes to you. Amen.